Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. Oscar Wilde, you know, the playwright and author, he once said, always forgive your enemies. Nothing annoys them so much. I think Wilde was right. Sometimes forgiveness can be the best form of revenge. There's actually a proverb. I'm not going to quote it word for word, but the proverb basically says, forgive your enemy. It's like dumping heaping coals on their head, right? Like there's something about forgiveness that can be a form of of revenge. But I'm not sure that David would have seen it that way, thankfully. Um, as, as we read this story about, about Saul bringing 3,000 soldiers to kill David, I'm amazed how David himself chooses not to kill Saul when he has the chance. He had, in a lot of ways, every reason to kill Saul and end this ongoing hunt. But why didn't he do it? If we take a closer look at the life of David, I think we'll find some reasons why. So I want to begin with just a little bit of a recap of where Jade left off last week, and then we'll pick up with the story we read today. So despite his lowly position as the youngest son, David's youth actually proved to be really promising and hopeful. All six of his older brothers were presented to become the future king of Israel, but none of them were chosen. It was only when David, the youngest and least expected, was pulled away from tending sheep that he was chosen by Samuel to be the future king of Israel, and he was anointed in that moment with the power of the Holy Spirit. This affirmed not only David's outward image um, and, his, and his ability, but more importantly, it affirmed his character and his heart. As it says in 1 Samuel 16, people look at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So soon after he's anointed, King Saul asked David to be one of his armor bearers, basically a low position in the army, and then a war broke out between Israel and the Philistines. Next comes the story we all know that Jade talked about last week when the giant Goliath comes along and challenged the Israelites to just send their best champion to face him in combat. David, this small up-and-coming young soldier, he declares that he could defeat Goliath, right? So, of course, he's doubted by many, but he, he even refuses to wear any armor, and he, what does he do? He quickly kills Goliath with his slingshot and the rest is history. But David's victories did not end with Goliath. First uh, Samuel 18 says that whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. In everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. Saul wasn't the only one who noticed David's successes. It also says that women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet David was singing and dancing. They must have known that David himself was a skilled musician because they even wrote a little song for him that they sang when he came into town. The Bible, unfortunately, doesn't tell us how the whole song goes, but the chorus was this. Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And while this song may have been a favorite for David, uh, Saul was not a very big fan. Verse 8 shows us Saul's reaction. 
Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? Look, ladies, you may not know this, but it really hurts a man's ego when you say he's only slain thousands while his successor has already slain tens of thousands, okay? It's just not a good look for us men. But seriously, it wasn't just the song that annoyed Saul. He was jealous. He was jealous of David's growing success, growing power, and he feared that David was going to overthrow his kingdom before it was his time. This is where things really take a turn for the worse. Saul begins to feel so insecure toward David that he becomes obsessed with tracking him down and attempting to kill him. Over the next 10 chapters of 1 Samuel, we see this ongoing game of cat and mouse between David and Saul. David is forced to flee from one place to another as he hides from Saul's attempts to kill him. Despite his growing hatred for David, Saul never catches him. In fact, the opposite happens. Saul doesn't find David, but David happens to find Saul. David has not just one in the story we just read, but he'll actually have two opportunities to kill Saul. But both times, he chooses not to. Why? Saul has made David's life miserable. He was this promising young man who was on track to be the next king. He was extremely successful. Everybody liked him, but now his days consist of fleeing for his life, hiding in caves, constantly seeking refuge, all because of Saul's insecurity. How could he choose to allow this to continue? Why doesn't he end it? Why doesn't he kill Saul when he has the chance? Well, unlike Saul, who was obsessed with power and control, David has learned the art of surrender and trust. David knows that he's the anointed. He's he's got the power of the Holy Spirit. God is with him wherever he goes. And because of that, he can act with grace. He can act with forgiveness toward those who desire to hurt him. Even when everything in his life seems to be going wrong, he can be okay because of his intimate relationship with God. God. I think if we take just a little bit of a closer look at the life of David, we'll see how he became the kind of person who had this sort of relationship, this sort of dependence on God to where he could choose to not kill Saul when he had the chance. I want us to see three aspects of David's life and maybe just unpack what they might mean for us today. The first aspect of David's life that I want us to see is this this time that he spent that empowered him to be dependent on God. And it's this. It's in his early days of life, he spent a lot of time in silence and a lot of time in solitude. As a shepherd, David spent many long days and late nights just in lonely places with sheep and with God, right? He understood this isolated art 
of shepherding a flock. And he knew because he himself did it. He knew what it meant to have God as the true shepherd of his life. In these times of solitude and silence, David found the presence of God. That's why he would go on to pray things like this in Psalm 62. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. So when he fled for his life and hid in caves for days, maybe even months at a time, he saw it not as wasted time, but as an opportunity for prayer, for growing in relationship with the God who was always with him. Richard Foster writes this about solitude in Celebration of Discipline. If we possess inward solitude, we do not fear being alone, for we know that we are not alone. Neither do we fear being with others, for they do not control us. In the midst of noise and confusion, we are settled into a deep inner silence. Whether alone or among people, we always carry with us a portable sanctuary of the heart. David carried with him a portable sanctuary of the heart. In other words, his time in solitude and silence trained him to be the kind of person who could know and see God anywhere and everywhere that he went. In the noise and chaos of military battles like with Goliath and in the quiet hiddenness of caves. We hear David pray something similar in Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. This leads us to the second aspect of David's life, which is this. David not only knew that God was with him, but he had a relationship of deep intimacy with God. His life was marked by a profound level of surrender, trust, dependence on God. This led David to the realization that even if he was found and killed by Saul, God was his ultimate refuge. Throughout the Psalms, we see David cry out to God in prayer with names that express their relationship with one another. David called God his strength, his deliverer, his rock, shield, refuge, salvation, stronghold, fortress, shepherd, provider, healer. Are you starting to see the picture? David had this relationship where God was not merely present with him, but God played an active role in so many different aspects of David's life. God was someone who David could trust and depend on in the tumultuous seasons of life. So even when his life was on the line, David didn't need to fear Saul because his true life was surrendered to God. Listen to David in Psalm 31. But I trust in you, Lord, I say. You are my God. My times are in your hands. This kind of surrender is extremely difficult because it means giving up a sense of power and control over our own lives. Pete Scazzaro, the author of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, says that we all want a spiritual life, but we prefer to be in charge of it and have it unfold according to our schedule and in our way. It's not easy to come to terms with that reality that we're not God, and therefore we're not in control of all the circumstances of our lives. Just like David, even the most successful and promising lives can take a turn for the worse at any moment. Welcome to church. I hope you came for some encouragement today. <laughs> 
but it's true, right? The question is not, how can I make my life go exactly as I plan it to go? But instead, how will I respond when inevitably my life doesn't go the way I hoped it would? Will, we, will I constantly try to course correct and, and attempt to make things go my way? Or will I learn to accept the things in life that I simply cannot change? This, of course, is much easier said than done. We don't just wake up one day and surrender our lives over to God. It's an ongoing process, and it must be grounded in something beyond our own willpower. We can't just do it because we will it. It must be grounded in our identity as new creations in Christ. Listen to this from Robert Mulholland in his book, Invitation to a Journey. The Christian's identity and value do not reside in the fragile order and tenuous control that she or he imposes on life. Identity and value are found in a vital and living relationship with Christ as Lord. This relationship liberates Christians from dependence on their little systems of order and fragile structures of control. Not that believers live without order or control, but they are liberated from dependency on those systems and structures for their sense of self. We all need to be liberated, like Mulholland says, from our little systems of order and fragile structures of control that we've become dependent on. What are they for you? Maybe they relate to your workplace or your career. Maybe they're connected to your family or, or some relationships in your life. Maybe it's that all too common temptation that we all face to find our identity not in Christ, but in what we have or in what we do or in what people think about us, right? The reality is we're just not in control and life always has something to send our ways, right? It does no one any good to pretend that life is always just fine and dandy. So let me be clear that David was not some perfectly content person all the time. He's not some unrealistic saint who never questioned or, or doubted God, right? In fact, the exact opposite is true. David did not ignore the hardships of life. Absolutely not. He, he named them to God. He brought them to God with openness, with, with honestly brutal prayers and, and brutal honesty. That's the third thing. And the final thing that I want us to see about the life of David is that his prayer life was just full of, of honesty with God. His prayers were steeped in the kinds of raw emotions that all humans experience. Anger, fear, sadness, disgust, joy, and so on. I've been quoting from the book of Psalms a lot this morning because approximately half of them are attributed to David. The Psalms are these poetic prayers, these, these songs that were extremely important to the, the Hebrew people, and they've been passed on throughout history as a model for authentic prayer prayer, and worship. And because of their importance historically, the Psalms give us this glimpse, this, this insight, not only into the prayers of David, but into the prayers of the Jewish people, the prayers of the church, and even the prayers of Jesus, who would have memorized many of these Psalms. Let me give a few examples of the raw honesty that David prayed in the Psalms. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? 
How long will you hide your face from me? I'm worn out from my groaning. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. All my longings lie open before you, Lord. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pounds. My strength fails me. Even the light has gone from my eyes. Why, Lord? Do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? These are the words of a man who did not ignore the hardships of life, but brought them to God in prayer. David was free to be honest with God because he trusted that God heard his prayers and could do something about it. But even if God didn't change the circumstances of David's life, he knew that God cared for him and listened to his pleas for help. More importantly, God not only listened to David, God was present with David, no matter the situation. And because David had surrendered his life to God, he could depend on him rather than on his own systems for control of his life. That's why ultimately the Psalms, these prayers of David, they take on a posture of praise and gratitude toward God. Even the lament Psalms, the ones I read earlier, with their brutally honest questions for God, they typically end by declaring that God is still worthy to be praised. Listen to the end of Psalm 13, the one I read earlier that begins, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? This is how David closes that prayer. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Ultimately, gratitude, this true gratitude that doesn't ignore pain, that doesn't ignore suffering, but honest thankfulness for God, no matter how life seems to be going, is what sets David apart from Saul. Saul was hyper-fixated on control of his life and domination, right? But David focused on the reality that God was with him, that God cared for him, and that God was leading him in the way of goodness and the way of love. You and I each have to make a choice. Do we want to be people who are more like David or people who are more like Saul? Will we choose to become aware of God's presence in our lives or will we choose to ignore it? Will we surrender our lives to God or will we try to control them at all costs? Will we bring our brutally honest prayers to God or will we just try to keep our prayer lives neat and tidy? With the Holy Spirit's help, we can learn a little bit from the life of David. We can learn about setting aside time for silence and solitude alone with God. We can learn as we read the Psalms what it looks like to bring honest prayer before God. We can learn how to become people through the Holy Spirit's help of wholehearted surrender, offering our whole selves, our whole lives to God, come what may. Because none of us know what's coming this afternoon, what's coming tomorrow, but if we can trust God, even if things don't seem to go our way. That's, that's the kind of life I, I want to live. I don't know about you, but when, when life is just so up and down to just be with God and trust through it all, 
um, yeah, that's what I'm looking for. So let's pray. God, thank you for um, who we see in David, not because he was perfect, not because he he lived this sinless, perfect life, but um, because we can see just glimpses of what it might look like to rearrange our lives, to set aside some things, to pick up some things um, in order to depend more fully, to trust more fully on you um, so that you can, can empower us to be the people that you've created us to be. So help us, God. Fill us with your spirit. We can't do this alone. Give us community. Um, give us friends along the way. Give us uh, people who will push us in, in the right direction um, and ultimately give us, give us your spirit who we, who we surrender to and who we trust. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.